www.voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. And welcome to the show, and you know what this month is. This is our month to kick off the celebration for the Americans with Disabilities Act. That's why we always make sure we have champions on the show during this month. And as you will see throughout the month, we have some real superstars on the show starting today. And I want to tell you how excited I am because I feel this will not only be a fantastic show, but an educational show for all of our listeners. Because today we're going to talk about Stevens Johnson Syndrome and the foundation that is trying to change America by educating people. And sadly, I'll bet that many of my listeners right now are not familiar with this. And wait, even sadder. You should know about it, no matter who you are, but especially with epilepsy, as I have epilepsy. You should know about it, and you'll see why in a little bit. But first, I want to welcome our guest. We have with us the founder, and as far as I'm concerned, this woman is a real champion, Jean McCauley. Elizabeth Boxer, who is a young woman directly impacted by Stevens-Johnson syndrome, and her father, who all of you know, many of you know, because he is our champion in the disability community, Mr. Mark Boxer, also former Tony Quello Award winner, who also is winning an award this month from the American Association of People with Disabilities. Mark, Elizabeth, and Jean, all of you, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to start with you, Jean, uh, because you are the founder I wanted you first, if you don't mind, if you could begin by telling our listeners what caused you to become involved with Stevens Johnson Syndrome. Why don't we start right there? How did you get involved with all this? Okay. Um, my daughter, Julie, was ten and a half months old, and she was diagnosed with pediatric epilepsy. Then the doctors prescribed phenobarbital to control the seizures. So she was on it for two weeks. And one morning she got up and her eye was swollen. And then the next a couple of hours later, her eye, her, the other eye was swelling. And I kept checking to see if there was something in her eyes, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. And she then developed a fever. And I took her to the pediatrician, and while we were there, she started to develop these blisters across her shoulders and on her mouth. And she was diagnosed with the chicken pox. And... So the very next day, she dehydrated. This rash spread across her entire body, huge blisters. They were the size of a half dollar. And I thought, this is the most horrifying case of chickenpox. I, I can't believe this is happening. So I took her to the hospital, and because she had epilepsy, they started an IV, and they knew that she had missed her dose of phenobarbital because she had blisters down her throat by then and was unable to take a bottle and unable to take any medication by mouth. So an IV was started, and the phenobarbital was then given in the IV. This went on for four days until 
her lungs were collapsing. Her skin was then coming off in sheets. And I thank God every day. There was a nurse in the room who said, this is Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And at that time, I thought, well, this is great. Now we know what it is, and I'm very relieved, and she's going to get better. And the doctor came in and said to me, Jean, this is not a good thing. This is, this is extremely serious. She could die. And she spent 27 days in the burn unit. And she was debrided from head to toe. But when they pried open her eyes, her eyes were so severely damaged that um, she went blind in her right eye and has uh, low vision in her left eye and many, many other side effects from Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And, and so I was very determined. I wanted to find other people because they told me it was extremely rare and I was probably never going to hear of another person as long as I lived. And that's not really something a mother wants to hear. So that was when I decided that we needed to do something. And um, we, my sisters looked in the medical library to find information about Stevens-Johnson syndrome. There were only two articles. And that was in 1994. There were two articles that they had about it. And we were determined that we were not going to let other people go through this. So we started researching, finding articles, finding the information, and founded the, the foundation, which originally was the Julie Foundation for Allergic Drug Reactions. And then we changed the name to the Stevens-Johnson Syndrome Foundation, looking for people. And once we put our website up, they came. They came like like the movie Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. And they came from around the world. And there were people that were only five miles from me. One little girl was six, and another little girl the opposite direction. She was five miles the exact opposite direction from me. She had it to an over-the-counter ibuprofen product. And this child was 12 years old. She's 27 now. She was um, so disabled from it. She ended up having a stroke. She's paralyzed on one side. She's still on a feeding tube to this day. She's completely blind. And, and these are medications that we, we are thinking we can take anything we're safe. But um, if we don't know what's in that package insert, and Stevens-Johnson syndrome is not out in the open, people do not know about it. The people that contact us obviously had a loved one, and that's how they found out. And this is wrong. We're consumers, and we have over-the-counter product like ibuprofen for our children, children's ibuprofen that we can walk in that store without even asking a doctor, pick it up, purchase it, take it home. Our kid has a fever. We give them some, some of that, and we're trying to reduce that fever. Well, with Stevens-Johnson syndrome, one of the first problems is the fever starts to go up. So parents then reach again for that product. Now they've given it to them again. This child might be reacting. And then we're just basically pouring gas on a fire. It, there is no stopping it. And, and the problem is that it's not recognized widely because physicians are taught that it's rare. And believe me, I hear every single day, sometimes in the middle of the night, uh, from people from all across the United States and from around the world. And it, it is not rare. What's rare is having it reported to the FDA. All right, let me um, let me ask you this question because I have so many, but let me ask you this question first from a listener in Kansas, and this is from Nancy. And the question is, Jean, first of all, I think it's wonderful what you're doing, and I commend you. Uh, my question is, how should we proceed when we have children? How should we proceed to know 
ahead of time if they have Stevens-Johnson syndrome? Well, if they if they are taking a medication, and it may be a new medication that they've never taken before. I mean, Stevens-Johnson syndrome isn't something that we all have. It's just something that happens from the reaction. It's a severe adverse reaction. You need to look for the warning signs, and the warning signs are if you're taking an antibiotic and you start to you've already had a fever, but your fever's not getting better, or you're taking an antibiotic, or you're taking an anticonvulsant drug, and you suddenly run a fever, or you get a rash. Anytime you have a rash and you're taking a medicine, there's a problem. You're obviously having some type of adverse reaction, but Stevens-Johnson syndrome affects the mucous membrane, so you'll see these these blisters come up inside the mouth, inside the eyes, the ears. And when you, when you have a blistering rash, a persistent fever, they can feel like they've got the flu, they feel run down, they're achy all over. If a child is lethargic and is taking a medication for several days and suddenly has a rash, there's obviously a problem. And you need to get in touch with your physician immediately and consider that they may be having an, a reaction to the medication. Well, a question I have right there. Let's just say, as you said, not everyone has this, but, you know, let's say you have a young child, a teenager, whatever the age would be, they have, they are in an accident, sports, and you're thinking, I'm going to give them ibuprofen. Is there any way to test this ahead of time, or do you have to wait till there is a reaction? That's you right. Know? You have to wait till there's a reaction. There is no test in advance for Stevens-Johnson syndrome. Oh, my goodness. That's terrible. It's horrible. It's a nightmare. And I, I mean, like, and as you said about epilepsy. Right. Think about that. You know, I am a woman with epilepsy. I take Dilantin, but I know that if a child starts having seizures, the very first thing they're going to do is give them anticonvulsant medication. So, you know, I guess that you're not going to know till it happens. Right. You're not going to know till it happens. And that's the thing is that when it does happen, usually it's misdiagnosed. And even if the even if the physician knows, as in Julie's case, now anticonvulsants are one of the top causes of Stevens Johnson syndrome, right below the number one cause, which is sulfa antibiotic Bactrim. And so, if you've got a child, you know, that's just started on an anticonvulsant drug, typically the reaction with Stevens Johnson syndrome when you're taking an anticonvulsant is usually 14 days after you've started the drug. But in a particular drug, lamotrigine, lamictal, that particular drug, they start out small as a starter pack. And as they increase, that's where we see the problem on that drug almost always. And we do get a lot of calls on that. That drug is... On lamictal. Lamictal. It's used for epilepsy. It's not recommended for children under the age of 16 years old because it has such a high incidence of Stevens-Johnson syndrome related to it. It carries a black box warning. However, when physicians are giving it out, oftentimes we've had calls where a child is as young as six years old. There's a black box warning on this drug. But sometimes, you know, if the child's having trouble with their epilepsy and they may have added two or three different medications and they're not responding well, Lamictal may be the drug that the doctor's thinking, well, this could help. Well, it can, but it does have a very, very high incidence in children. They don't metabolize drugs the same way that adults do. They're small. They have little bodies. Women also, we do not metabolize drugs the same way as men. There is a much higher incidence in Stevens-Johnson syndrome in females, too. We do have males, 
but it is much more common in women, even though a lot of the literature out there states it's from old studies about men. But now there's more and more coming out. Women do get it more often. Female children do get it more often. Let me ask you this. How is Julie today? Julie just uh, had her 11th eye surgery last week. She is doing much better since she's had that surgery. She is 14 years old, and she's going into her sophomore year at high school. She's, um, she does very well. She's very big on educating people about Stevens-Johnson syndrome. She's kind of like her mother. And so she, um, as far as her vision goes, it's not good. She's completely blind in her right eye. Her vision in her left eye is very low. It fluctuates, and she's very uh, photophobic. Light hurts her eyes. So to go outside, she needs someone to walk with her, a sighted guide. She wears a, a hat and sunglasses. She has a cane, but she has a problem with the cane. She just feels like that kids have made fun of her, so she tries to... Oh, wait a minute. We're going to talk about that more as soon as we come back from break. If you just joined us... We're talking to Jean McCauley, the founder of Stevens-Johnson Syndrome Foundation, and we'll be right back with also Elizabeth and Mark Boxer. This is America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Have you ever thought about having your own Internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us. Then click Be a Host to get more information. Or just call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Say that again. 480-294-6417. VoiceAmerica.com. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice... What if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Hey, welcome back to the show if you just joined us. Today we're talking to Mark Boxer, the Assistant Director of the Center for Health Care and Insurance Studies and Teaching graduate business at the University of Connecticut, and Elizabeth Boxer, his daughter, and Jean McCauley, founder of the Stephen Johnson Syndrome Foundation. Right when we went to break, you were telling us how Julie's doing. 
And you had mentioned to me at break she was on the ketogenic diet, so did she stop having seizures then? She did. It, she was on it for two and a half years, and we weighed every single thing that she ate to the nearest gram, all high-fat food, and she did fantastic on the diet. And I, I was very relieved that it worked because I was afraid, quite honestly, to give her anything else after all she had been through. She being burned over 80% of your body from taking phenobarbital, I was not going to take another chance. Now, is she still on that diet? No. Two and a half years later. Wow, that is wonderful. Well, good for her. And I just want to say, Julie, you are really a tough cookie. Let me tell you that. So I just wanted to make sure that, and I'm proud of you that you're being an advocate. And I noticed you mentioned about the kids. You know what? Bullying. People with disabilities in high school and elementary school are bullied more than any other group. Only second to that would be, of course, um, people who are gay. But people with disabilities are bullied at such a high rate, and I'm sure your daughter went through that. Yes, yes, she did. Terrible. Oh, that is terrible. That is just terrible. Um, Well, Jean, I think this is fantastic. I'm trying to figure out why don't more people know about this. I think they don't know about it because... um, Doctors aren't really taught about it. It's not out in the open at all. We've tried for years. We've been trying to get it out into the public, but um, it doesn't get the research that it should have. They consider it extremely rare, and I think that's another reason why people don't know about it. Package inserts are not clear, and normally when we go to the pharmacy to get a prescription filled, you usually get a little computerized printout from the pharmacy. It doesn't list Stevens-Johnson syndrome. It may say a rash, but people don't realize that that rash could be deadly. I mean, that, that rash could cause them their eyesight. It could cost them their life. And, um, and doctors are taught very little about it in medical school. I was told by uh, the president of the AMA at one point, I had written to him and asked about teaching Stevens-Johnson syndrome and he said, well, we do. We have a one-day, about a one-day seminar that we treat, we teach them about it. I thought, one day and all of the years that they have medical school isn't very much. And so very often they forget. And when they see it, they don't even put on their list of differential diagnosis. It's usually chicken pox. In the elderly, they diagnose it as shingles. Um, I've seen it as people being told that they are they have HIV when they haven't even had the test for it. I mean, it's amazing what they diagnose it at. As, and so I think that's a lot of the reason also that people don't know about Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And oftentimes, even if they had been in the hospital, they've been released. They didn't even know they had it. They never were diagnosed with it. Sometimes they've diagnosed it as hemorrhaging chickenpox. I mean, the child may be on a medication. With a little bit of luck, they... they took the offending drug out of the picture, and they may have gotten better. But so often, it's not diagnosed. It's never put on the death certificate, ever. Everyone that contacts us that has lost a loved one, it's never included. They have to fight to have it put on the death certificate. Why? I, you know, I don't understand that. I think that um, because it is a, a, a drug reaction and, and because um, it's not clearly known, they they always put down contributing. Uh, they'll they'll put down. Okay, the person died from septic shock. Well, the septic shock wouldn't have come if they didn't have Stevens Johnson syndrome. So 
So they'll put down septic shock or multi-organ system failure, but they fail to put on Stevens-Johnson syndrome. Well, we don't know why, but we've been fighting to get that done, taken care of, too. We've also um, approached the FDA repeatedly about changing the warnings on the children's ibuprofen products on the over-the-counter drugs, because by prescription it has a warning, but by uh, the over-the-counter drug it was lifted. And so that's another problem we have. And also what we're doing is we've been trying to get the FDA, FDA to put in a mandatory reporting system that all physicians need to report to the FDA when they have a case of SGS. And I don't care if it takes you five minutes extra. You've obviously got a secretary receptionist. Somebody can do this report. There's no excuse for this. Absolutely no excuse. It needs to be out in the open. They need an accurate count, and they're going to see how often it does happen. And then maybe, maybe then the government will fund research into Stevens-Johnson syndrome, we'll get better treatments, and we'll save these people's lives, and we'll save these children's eyesight. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. That is outrageous. Well, <clears throat> it just so happens that we have with us on this show someone living with Stephen Johnson syndrome. Elizabeth, you are a person with Stephen Johnson syndrome, and I wondered if you could share with our listening audience what happened to you that day at camp that your father told me about. Um, two weeks after I'd taken the ibuprofen because I um, pulled a muscle in my neck, I woke up one morning, and I didn't really notice anything until breakfast. I just looked at my hands, and they were bright red. And then after breakfast, I started looking on my arms. My arms started turning red and getting a little bubbly, like small blisters. And then I went to the nurse, and she she gave me some um, Benadryl. And then after that, she sent me on my way, and then the rash started to spread. And then later on that day, it took me off island to the doctor. And the doctor... Um, I had mono. So I went back to camp, and I slept. Wait, wait, wait. So, Elizabeth, you mean they sent you back to camp? Yeah, you know, when when Jean was talking about, you know, how often it's misdiagnosed. Yeah. took Elizabeth, you know, off the island. She went to summer camp on an island in New Hampshire to see a local physician, and unfortunately, you know, she was misdiagnosed. And, and so back she went, back, back to camp. Then what happened, Elizabeth? And then the next day, I woke up, and I was just getting more tired, and I still didn't feel great. And so I called my parents, and they decided to take me home. So I went home either that day or the next day. And then I was driving home. So I went to the hotel first, and we slept there overnight to see if I could stay for the last day of camp. Because on the last day of camp, they have this big banquet dinner with awards and everything. So I stayed there overnight, and then next morning I woke up with huge blisters on my face and on my body, and that's when we decided that it was time to go home. So we started driving home, and I was getting, like, more lethargic on the way home. So my parents decided to take me to the hospital instead of going to the doctor. And then what happened? And then... I mean, were you awake through all of this? Were you still awake? I was awake, but I don't really remember much of what happened after that. Well, Elizabeth, that is terrible because you know what? I would have to say 80 90% of young people, if this happened to them, they'd have no idea what the heck was going on because, as Jean has pointed out, 
<clears throat> it has not been brought out by the drug companies. It has not been brought out enough by doctors. So, of course, you know, it'd be hard to know what's happening. Now, Mark, what did you think when you first received that call from your wife about uh, Elizabeth? And, and what were you thinking when you saw her and you run away to the hospital? Well, initially, you know, when we got the call from camp, you know, it was a call about Elizabeth having a, they called it a minor rash. And, um... They said that, um, you know, she had a rash in her arms and her legs, and they were taking her off the island to see a local doctor, and then they were going to give us a call back and let us know what happened. And so they did that, and we got a second call saying they had taken her to the doctor, and she had a case of mono, not to worry, and, you know, they would be treating it and keeping her comfortable, and they gave Elizabeth the choice of, you know, leaving immediately or staying, and she, you know, said, no, I want to tough it out and stay and maybe stay to the banquet. And so we spoke to Elizabeth on the phone and said, okay, you know, stay up there and just keep us informed. We got a, another phone call from the camp the subsequent day saying the rash had spread. And at that point, my wife and I decided, you know what, um, it's time to go up and get her. So my wife drove to New Hampshire from Connecticut to pick Elizabeth up, brought her off the island, took her back to that original physician who, you know, again, reinforced his diagnosis. And this is the very, very sad and terrifying part of Stevens-Johnson is as Jean said, not many physicians see it. It's often misdiagnosed as it was in Elizabeth's case. So my wife and I spoke. Um, she saw the physician, um, decided that she would drive back the next morning with Elizabeth and we'd see our own pediatrician here in Connecticut. The rash was moderate and spreading somewhat, but not, you know, uh, dangerous. The next morning, Michelle, my wife, called me and said the rash had spread. It was now turning to blisters and she was going to head home to Connecticut immediately started to drive back, and as she is driving in the car, literally the rash is spreading and the blisters are becoming larger. And at that point, your mind jumps, you know, to the worst possible scenario. We weren't sure what we were dealing with, but we knew it was serious. As Michelle is driving, we're having a discussion about her perhaps stopping at one of the hospitals along the way. The first thing you want to do is get your child home. Elizabeth was uncomfortable, but not at that point in a dangerous situation. We called our pediatrician who said, you know, immediately take her to Connecticut Children's Medical Center as soon as we got back to Connecticut, which, which Michelle did, and I made arrangements to meet her there. And to your question, you know, what did I think when I saw Elizabeth? It was just scary and devastating at the same time. Didn't know what we were dealing with. I looked in the car when they pulled up to the emergency department, and I saw a little girl with a rash over much of her body. I saw blisters. Um, she couldn't walk because the blisters were on the bottom of her feet. And I just, I had no clue what we were up against. This was not anything that I had ever heard about related to mononucleosis. We wheeled Elizabeth into Connecticut Children's Medical Center, and as soon as they saw her, they took her immediately into the emergency department. No paperwork, no waiting. They brought her right in because it was obvious this girl was in a, a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. And I'll tell you something, when I, when I looked at her, the only thing I could think of was a burn patient because I saw blistering on her body. But I knew that she hadn't been in a fire, yet she looked like she was burned. It was, it was scary and devastating at the same time, and, and your heart just goes into your throat because, you know, when you're dealing with your child, any child, in fact, you know, you just want to make them better and get them out of pain, and, and at that point we didn't know what we were dealing with. Oh, that would be terrifying. That would be terrible. So then, Mark, what did you do then? How, how, did, what, how did you proceed? Well, um, we were fortunate. The first physician she saw at Connecticut Children's Medical Center had actually spent time working in a burn center, 
And many of these children, many of these victims of Stephen Johnson syndrome end up in burn centers because, you know, they literally are a burn patient. They are experiencing a burn on their body. That's one of the, the tragedies of Stephen Johnson syndrome. And so the resident physician working in the emergency department had been in the burn unit, had seen some cases of Stevens Johnson, and immediately diagnosed the condition. Um, so we were fortunate. She was diagnosed very, very quickly, unfortunately, after being misdiagnosed in New Hampshire. At that point, you know, I... Go ahead. We'll finish as soon as we come back. Very good. We're, as soon as we come back, we'll finish with Mark Boxer. This story just has me enthralled and upset at the same time. You're listening to Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll let Mark finish telling us the story right after break. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and 1 in 10 Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Uh Uh-huh. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn. So follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. (laughs) Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at PornLearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back to the show, and I'll let Mark Boxer finish. If you just joined us, by the way, we're talking about Stevens-Johnson Syndrome. We have with us the founder, Gene McCauley. We have Mark Boxer, who is the assistant director of the Center for Healthcare and Insurance Studies at the University of Connecticut and teaching graduate-level business. We have his daughter, Elizabeth, who we are talking about right now. Mark, you were telling us um, when you were at the hospital, one intern knew that this was Stevens-Johnson syndrome. Then what happened? Well, as soon as they diagnosed it as Stevens-Johnson, they immediately brought Elizabeth up to the intensive care unit 
because what they do is they treat these these victims as burn patients, and the most important thing is to get them stabilized as quickly as they possible. They knew that they were dealing with something very, very serious. And at this point in time, Elizabeth had burns over 30% of her body. I had never heard of Stevens-Johnson syndrome, and as Jean reminded us, you know, there aren't many people who have really heard about this devastating condition. I called a friend and said, we're at the hospital, we know it's serious, Elizabeth has Stevens-Johnson syndrome, and that friend actually went out on the Stevens-Johnson syndrome foundation website. It is, you know, one of the few places where you can get, you know, immediate credible information about what you're up against, and she, uh, this friend played back for me what she read off the website, and then I knew that we were in for something very, very serious and very scary. They brought Elizabeth up to the intensive care unit, and they started treating her immediately with intravenous fluids and pain medication, and then we started to have to make some decisions about, you know, what the course of treatment would be. Um, on the Stevens-Johnson syndrome website, there was information about a new uh, recent treatment. It's called IVIG therapy. We talked to the physicians in the intensive care unit at Connecticut Children's, and the decision was made to immediately start Elizabeth on that therapy. And um, it was a very, very long two weeks. It was, you know, the longest two weeks of my life as Elizabeth went through treatment and then ultimately was moved off and out of the intensive care unit. But um, we were lucky. You know, she was diagnosed quickly in, in the emergency department. She was treated immediately up in the intensive care unit. There were therapies that were identified quickly through the Stevens-Johnson Syndrome Foundation website. And um, and today Elizabeth is, is with us and is healthy, but we are very, very fortunate. There are many, many children, as we heard, that do not come out of this well. The fatality rate is very, very high. And again, our objective is to get the message out there that, you know, early diagnosis and identification is critical. Understanding that this can happen to anyone, understanding that there are many medications that can trigger it. But again, you know, we um, would not want to ever, ever go through that again. And we were fortunate Elizabeth came through it. You know, she got wonderful care at Connecticut Children's Medical Center. She was treated quickly, and, and she's with us today telling her story because of that. What happened to all those burns that you were referring to? You know, in, in many cases, the second-degree burns turn into third-degree burns, and those end up having to be treated at a burn center, you know, with surgeries, plastic surgery, for example. Elizabeth's, you know, Stevens-Johnson was caught earlier in the process, and so while she had burns over 30% of her body, they were not full thickness burns, and she was fortunate. She did not have to have plastic surgery, um, or does not have any permanent scarring, but many children are not as fortunate as she was. She was the exception. Yes. Well, and she's out there doing something about it. I'll tell you that. And, you know, thank God, Jean, that your daughter's alive. Yeah. I mean, even hearing that she was in a seizure that long? Yeah, 50-minute seizure. And, and I mean, I know about epilepsy, and that just, just so you know, and I know most of my listeners, because a lot of my listeners are people with epilepsy or, very familiar, or are very familiar with epilepsy, but as you all know, if you have a seizure longer than three to four minutes, it's time to call 911. Most seizures are one to two minutes. Now, imagine 55. This is so dangerous. I mean, you know, that is a miracle that she's with us. So she is definitely a miracle child. <laughs> she is, she is. She, Julie, you are a miracle child. Both of you are. Elizabeth, you are also a miracle child. I mean, just that everything happened the way it did, uh, and I guess both of you, you know, had there was a plan for both of you, that's for sure. I have a question for you from Philadelphia for Jean. 
and that is Jean. Um, I have a question about Stevens Johnson syndrome, and this is from Larry. Do you ever speak at conferences, or do you have conferences about Stevens Johnson syndrome? Well, I've spoken at daycare associations across Colorado, um, and I've talked at um, different at, at schools at at companies for their safety awareness month. But we haven't had any conferences really because of the fact that because Stevens Johnson syndrome is is um, perceived as extremely rare, we don't get any government funding for the foundation. So unfortunately, our foundation runs on a horrible way to, to fund a company is through um, in-memoriam donations or family members that send a donation. And it, it, there isn't the, the funding there to go out and do public speaking, which we would love to be able to do, but unfortunately, you know, to, to go across country to do to get the awareness out is very very difficult. We do have an SJS fact sheet that we print, and we do send those out. We've sent them to many many hospitals. We've delivered them, hand delivered them to hospitals in um, Massachusetts. I went up to the the Shriners Hospital there, the Shriners Children's Hospital, and the, the, the people there were fantastic and very receptive, and they contact us when they have an SJS patient. But a lot of times, you know, the doctor's offices won't hand it out. And I was told that one of the reasons that they don't give out the information is it would scare the public. Is what? It would scare the public. That because, it, because Stevens-Johnson syndrome can be caused by almost any medication, the, and to see the photographs of how severe it is, they've told me that it was a judgment call, that we would not want to cause mass hysteria. I'm sorry, we're consumers, and we have the right to know what we're putting in our bodies and what can happen from it. And, and I agree that, you know, there are many, many drugs are beneficial, absolutely. We need medication, and we're not against medication. We are, uh, our main concern is getting the word out about Stevens-Johnson syndrome and saving lives when this does happen, and it does happen. And I agree with you. And that is why, you know, I want to tell you about Mark Boxer. Mark Boxer retired very recently, as you know, from WellPoint to, to go on to this next great part of his life where he's going to be at the University of Connecticut doing teaching and doing this work. But he also is a national champion for the employment of people with disabilities, and it is because he took time to tell me about his daughter that we're doing this radio show right now. And see, that's why it's important to tell every person that you know. And, and all of my listeners, I want you to tell everyone that you know. And, Jean, what is your website and how do people make a donation? Our website is www.sjsupport.org, and they can make a donation. There's a, a link on there that they can send a donation directly through by a credit card if they want to through GuideStar, or they can mail a donation, and the address is on the website also. They would make a check payable to SJS Foundation at P.O. Box 350333, Westminster, Colorado, 80035. But all that information is on the website, and, <coughs> and um, Mark's been fantastic in helping the foundation and getting the word out about Stevens-Johnson Syndrome, and Elizabeth has been 
a, a very big advocate of getting the word out about SJS, and she's 11 years old. And that's fantastic that a child goes out of their way to do this. She's been through it, and she is a wonderful, wonderful girl. And we are very, very thankful to have them involved with the foundation. Yes. Elizabeth, you are what I call a national disability leader. You are, to me, a champion because here you are trying to make a deal. You know, I'm a very big proponent of advocacy, and right here at my company I have high school students with disabilities, not just college students, that do internships in the summer. And, I mean, our future is with our youth. I want you to tell everyone what you did with the governor of Connecticut, Governor Jody Rell. Tell them what you did. Last August, um, on the website, I found out that August was SJS Awareness Month, and that just happened to be the month that I got sick with it, too. And so I decided to try to raise awareness about it in my state. So me and my dad wrote a letter to the governor of Connecticut, Jody Rell, and we brought her, and she and was asking her to make a proclamation during August SJS Awareness Month in Connecticut. And she decided to do it with us. So we went and met with her, and she signed the proclamation. And She even went beyond that, um, Joyce. Governor Jody Rell was incredibly um, kind and gracious and met with Elizabeth for 45 minutes, almost an hour. And Elizabeth told the story to the Governor, and um, not only did she issue a proclamation declaring August as Stevens Johnson Syndrome Awareness Month in the state of Connecticut, she wrote a letter, a personal letter to every other governor in the nation asking them to join her to increase awareness of this devastating condition. And we are just forever indebted to, to Jody Rell for, for doing that. That is awesome. Uh, now, see, look at that, Elizabeth. From you going to one governor you impacted all the governors in the United States. Did you ever think that would happen? Not really. Well, I'm not surprised knowing your father. I'm not surprised at all. But I want to tell you what, listening to the show today, remember, young people can and do make a difference. Look what she did. Now, what gave you the courage to do that, Elizabeth? I just don't want anyone to go through what I went through because no one deserves to do that. See that? Well, you are a first-class champion. You know that? And I'll bet you that you just wish you had so many people like her. Right, Jean? Yes, I do. I do. We do have a kids' support group now, too. Um, they, we have our own... Um, it's SJ, We have a, a website that explains Stevens-Johnson Syndrome to children because so many children do get it, and, and the kids are all getting together now. We're seeing more and more young people that are going out of their way to give the information out and do PowerPoint presentations at their schools, do it for science fair projects. And Julie had developed a new website just for children, and it's sjskidssupport.org, and it explains it in layman's terms. So, I mean, our website has a lot of fantastic information on it, but a lot of it is medical information. This is a way that more children can understand it. And um, people like Elizabeth, you know, children that are going out and, and they're doing advocacy, and it, it's, it's fantastic. Thank God for the Internet. Because it is. All right. We're going to break, but one more time. What's that website, Jean? Uh, SJSKidsSupport.org. 
KidSupport.org. Okay, we're going to go to break, and then we'll be back to close the show with Gene, Mark Boxer, and Elizabeth Boxer. This is America's Voice, where disability matters at VoiceAmerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much, unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk, move, or walk. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face. If you experience this, call 911 immediately. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. VoiceAmerica.com if you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. Welcome back to our show as we kick off our ADA Celebration Month. We've been talking today to Jean McCauley, Mark Boxer, and Elizabeth Mark Boxer about the Stevens-Johnson Syndrome Foundation. I think we have a caller on the line. Do we have the caller? Hello. Is this Laura? Yes, it is. Laura, go ahead. Um, I was diagnosed with Stevens-Johnson's, but I, w- I never actually had the eye and mucous membrane problem. Um, we're not sure why exactly, but can you let listeners know that there's a possibility of them getting reoccurrences of Stephen Johnson's after they've had it once? Uh, you mean you can get this again? I have had it seven times at least since the first time. That's terrible. From different kinds of medications, and they never know what's going to bring it on. Okay, Jean, are you familiar with that? I am, and without the mucous membrane involvement, you can have severe adverse reactions to medication, and they can be very bad rashes. But without the mucous membrane involvement and the skin actually sloughing, the diagnosis may be what's called erythema multiforma minor, which is reoccurring. Usually with Stevens-Johnson syndrome, we do not see it again unless the offending drug is readministered. We've only had really two cases that were reported to us where it was really absolutely two full SJS cases where there was the full mucous membrane involvement, the oral, the ocular, and the blistering rash twice. And it was one girl that had it to a sulfur-based drug. And then 15 years later, she took an over-the-counter ibuprofen. She had never taken it before, and she also reacted then. Julie's had reactions after Stevens-Johnson syndrome, but it's not been Stevens-Johnson syndrome. It's 
it's been severe allergic reactions um, that have been very scary to us. I mean, terrifying when you see her break out in another rash, but where it's been a full maybe sunburn-like rash or even raised welts and hives, but not with the ocular and oral involvement again, that mucous membrane, that is really a really important part of SJS because if it's in the throat, it can cause the esophagus, um, esophageal strictures, the lungs can collapse, and that's why SJS is so severe, and that's why they're in the burn unit, to debride them, to monitor them for secondary infections. SJS is something that you don't treat yourself. You can't have it at home. You have to be in the hospital. We don't treat SJS at home because it's life-threatening. And if it crosses over into what's called toxic epidermal necrolysis, which is another stage of Stevens-Johnson syndrome, then you have a, almost a 50% mortality rate associated with it. So then what should our listener do here? I would go back to my physician and I would have them um, check if there, if there was any mucous membrane involvement. The, I would definitely wear a medic alert bracelet. Most people that have had Stevens-Johnson syndrome do have other drug allergies and they develop more drug allergies as time goes on. So you need to carry, uh, have a medic alert bracelet, maybe an EpiPen. Ask your physician what you should do, but definitely have some kind of um, a medic alert saying that you have severe drug allergies. As far as Stevens-Johnson syndrome, that absence of mucous membranes a lot of doctors would not make the diagnosis. Well, see, remember, it's good. Laura, thank you for calling in. I just want to say it's possible someone could have more involvement than they know if part of this is internal. Exactly. That is, see what I mean? Exactly. But they would still have almost every patient has the blistering on the lips, almost everyone. Is that right? Absolutely. Very interesting. Okay. Well, <clears throat> Jane. You mentioned how you've got young people involved with the Stevens-Johnson uh, group. You know, i got to tell you, it just alarms me that people don't want to talk about this more because I think this is so important for everyone to know about. Um, and I want to encourage everyone to go to that website and read more about this, make a donation, tell your friends, you know, speak about it. Be like Elizabeth. Speak up. Um, and, Jane, I want to tell you, Mark and Elizabeth, that I have asked for the past four years on this show every guest these last two questions. So I'm going to start with you, Jean. You've done so much. Look what you've done. You've, you've, you've definitely saved lives, I'm sure, from what you've done. What would you say at this time in your life? What is your proudest accomplishment? I think my proudest accomplishment is that we have more and more support groups that are are we've been able to promote people in their own, they're volunteering and they're starting support groups in their own states and getting the word out. They're distributing the fact sheets and we have them listed on our website and the fact that we're getting help and, and we're able to um, ask people if they'll help us and, and I think that and actually getting the foundation out in the open and, and is one of my most proudest accomplishments and I'd say being on the show is one of them because for you to invite us, you'll never know how much it means to us. The fact that you've got all these listeners that are listening, this is probably my most proudest accomplishment. It happened right now. Well, it is my honor to have you on here because here's how I feel. One life, one child, 
If we do something to help one, that's so absolutely critically important. And and you are doing a great thing, Jean. You are. So we're behind you, and I'm going to tell you right now, we'll keep talking about it. Don't you worry about that. Mark, I'll tell you what. It's going to be hard for you to tell me your proudest accomplishment because I know Mr. Mark Boxer on July 23rd is getting an award at the AAPD ADA Anniversary Celebration in addition, which is such a prestigious award, to receiving the Tony Coelho Award. But, Mark, what would you say is your proudest accomplishment? Well, Joyce, you know, um, for me, it's all about my family and my daughters, Sarah and Elizabeth. They make me proud, you know, every single day. Um, and, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that, you know, while we have a lot more work to do, the opportunity to work with you on advancing, you know, opportunities for those with disabilities to enter the workforce, that has been something that um, has made me extremely proud. It's been a privilege to be able to work with you on the programs that we're trying to, to put forth. We've got a lot more work to do, but, you know, I know together, Joyce, we're going to make a lot more progress. You listen to me, all of you listening to the show. This man who won the Tony Follow Award and now is receiving such a prestigious award in Washington, D.C., a national award from the American Association of People with Disabilities, he means it. He means it. You're going to be hearing his name over and over again because he is making it happen for you with employment. So I'm proud to know you also, Mark. So, Elizabeth, do you have some type of message that you would like to leave with our listeners today? Know the facts about it so that if it ever does happen, you'll be aware and you'll know what to do. That's so true. Let me ask you this, Jean, one more time. If someone wants to make a donation, what do they do? They can visit our website at www.sjsupport.org. And all the information there is our, our address is there, and also they can make a donation by credit card if they would like to. Okay, and, and the the website again? www.sjsupport.org. www.sjsupport.org. And, Joyce, thank you again for allowing us to get our message out about Stevens-Johnson Syndrome. You are, you know, a singular leader and champion for those with disabilities, and again, awareness is key, and we are very, very thankful for your time and for letting us get the message out. It is my honor, and you know what? If we had not done this, I would not be talking about it at the National Epilepsy Foundation. Think about that, Jean. That's wonderful. I mean, is that not amazing? That is. Because of this one thing with your daughter and with me knowing Mark Boxer, I will be speaking to all those epileptologists, and neurologist at the National Epilepsy Foundation. And don't think I won't because I already sent an email, but I'll be talking, talking, talking about this. So that's why. Remember what Tony Quello taught me? When you are at the podium and you get a chance to take that podium, speak up. And that's what Elizabeth Boxer did. So with that, We're going to let you go. Be here next week when we have other ADA champions on the show. This is Joyce Bender. You have been listening to me talk about Stephen Johnson Syndrome with Mark Boxer, Elizabeth Boxer, and Jean McCauley. Don't 
miss this show because we're on a show where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.